With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Hello and welcome to episode Robin Leonard of the Cosper Pointcast. I'm your co-host, Colin Cudmore. And as always, I'm joined by, by my fellow co-host, Trevor Shackles. Hey, Colin. And with Ottawa Senators in the midst of what may be one of the biggest weeks in franchise history, we're fully jam-packed with trades, we have a very special guest with us, Travis Yost, to help us parse through everything that's going on right now. You know Travis from his work with TSN, analyzing hockey with a multitude of perspectives, with the savvy eye towards analytics. Travis, welcome to the show. How are you guys doing? Are we calling this a the trade deadline what begins the rebuild, or are we calling this a fire sale? It's basically both at this point. Like it, it's a rebuild disguised as cost cutting is what we're kind of touting this as. So. Fair enough. Yeah, and I mean we were talking about this before the show, but you know, cost per point cast. Uh, I think that's that's a, a very good name for for the show, and it's you know, uh, I guess they're going to be having a pretty good cost per point the rest of the season, just because. They're not really paying anybody anything uh, the rest of the way. No, you're missing one thing there. You're missing the the second. You're missing the denominator, which is points. And <laughs> based true. on the way the offense has looked the last two days, yeah. I don't know if you can divide by zero. That is that is very true. They they have to score goals to actually get a high cost per point or low cost per point, <laughs> I should say. Um, yeah. So so Travis, um, I, I was hoping that at least one deal would get done before we had you on this morning. And thankfully, the Matt Duchesne trade was finalized last night. Obviously, we know it's an awful situation that he even had to be moved. But considering that he was leaving either way, do you think Ottawa came out okay in this trade yesterday? Uh, I, I think they did okay. I like if I had to put it on the one to ten scale, I would say it's a five. Um, and I'm and I'm I'm being kind here. And the reason why I say that is that I'm not taking into consideration how bad Duchesne trade V1 was because if you take that into consideration. Mm-hmm. Uh, this this number drops like a rock, but it is what it is. It was a it was an unbelievable misfire a year and a half, two years ago, um, and I think most people recognized that at the time. Um, so they, you know, how do we move to try and recoup some assets here at the deadline? And I, I give it a five, and here's why: I really would have liked them to see to see them squeeze out a, another actual tangible pick or even another dice roll on a prospect rather than this conditional pick that is basically exclusively contingent on Columbus signing him. So the the part I struggle with is I get to some degree why that was put in the trade, but does it really help? Does does Ottawa care if Duchesne extends in Columbus versus say Carolina or Calgary or any other NHL city? Like it, it really doesn't matter. Um, you know, maybe they care marginally more if he resigns in Toronto, say, or Montreal. Although I don't, I wouldn't know why there either. Uh, but my point is this: they basically put one of their eggs in the basket of, hey, if Columbus, if you sign resign Columbus, we get another first round pick, and, and that that sounds great. But if Columbus uses him as a rental, and maybe they trade him for I don't know a mid round pick, 
um, if, if they actually can't reach an extension um, to another team. Ottawa gets nothing out of that whole ordeal. And what they end up getting is two prospects, which are, I, I, you know, B-level-ish prospects. Um, you know, like Abramov is, you know, people are excited about his playmaking skill set. And I think he has an interesting toolbox to offer. But that said, he's got 22 points in 50-some-odd games, more than 50 games in the AHL. And it's his first year, and it's going to take time. But there, there's no obvious, like, wow, that's a great piece coming back. Right. And that that second first round pick, which really makes the deal look sexy, um, really isn't because it's reliant on one of effectively 30 teams. If you eliminate Ottawa from the equation, uh, extending him. And I, I just don't know why Ottawa would care if he extends in Columbus or anywhere else. It, it's that shouldn't be material to them. Um, and if it meant taking a, a, a marginally weaker pick um, and, and just making that as part of the actual trade, like, hey, we're going to take another second or third round pick for sure in 2020 say uh th- that to me is much more material than what this is because this is hey we got another first round pick but oh by the way it's loaded with this condition that really seems at least directionally speaking unfavorable to ottawa do you think there was a better deal to be had um with a different team or even with columbus out there i see i i don't think so and and it, it's very hard to answer that question because it's always possible that another package that existed was marginally better, and we just don't know about it. Um, but the, the the what this comes back to is the fact that Ottawa mostly did this to themselves. They pushed not only Duchesne, but obviously other free agents right up to the wall, had to sit them, which was the right choice, and basically put themselves in a situation where it was like, at whatever the best offer is, we have to take. And I, I, I get the spirit of it and the idea that all these teams are going to line up for a legitimate first line forward. And and there's some truth to that. This this wasn't a horrible return. It was a decent return. Uh, but at the end of the day, teams still can look back. And I'll, I'll point to, let's say, Vegas or Calgary, um, uh, maybe uh, San Jose. Let's let's say those three examples. Those, those are three legitimate contenders that I don't really think are in the uh, market for a marquee rental I, I especially teams like vegas and san jose i i think those teams are are looking at the deadline like look we're going to be buyers but you know uh, we're, we're fine not winning the stanley cup for the next three months and we're going to take our shot in free agency when it doesn't cost us anything i mean i think vegas and george mcphee actually explicitly came out and said that so my point being is the true field of interested parties was probably smaller than everyone thinks and what ends up happening is You've got a few teams that say, hey, this is our best offer. We're only getting three months of Matt Duchesne. It is what it is. And Ottawa had no choice. They have to take that. And that's that's why I think you're going to see something very similar. Like I, I think the Ryan Dezingle trade, which is inevitable, um, is, is going to be pretty underwhelming. Uh, Maybe Mark Stone is the exception just because he is the best player out there. But I, I just I, – I, I struggle with the idea that you know, this market is so super favorable to Ottawa or any major seller, uh, because especially when you're talking about pure rentals, uh, there's only a few teams that are really going to take their take a big shot at these guys. And the majority of other teams, even legitimate contenders, whether they're cap challenged or prospect or pick challenged right now, they're just going to wait till free agency so they can throw their dice in an eight year or seven year, I don't know, $60 million contract and say, hey, we'll say everything about the organization. And here's a whole boatload of money that we can offer. 
Um, but no, we don't have to give up anything. We don't have to give up a single pick prospect or anything right now to another team in order to get you here. And, and I think that's where some teams are at. Yeah, totally. And, and like, there was a lot leading up to this trade that convinced the Sens that they, they had to make this decision. Like ultimately, when it came down to Duchesne not wanting to resign with the team. So from the time that the Sens trade for Duchesne to today, so what do you think has been the biggest contributing factors to the Sens' downfall that uh, made them make this decision? As it pertains to Duchesne or as it pertains to their position in the trade market right now? I guess kind of both. I guess I guess they're kind of tied together. Uh, uh, the, the biggest drivers, they're terrible this year. I mean, that's that's easily the, the start point, right? Like, how do you become a buyer or seller? Uh, you become a seller when you've got interesting... Uh, interesting players available to real contending teams, and you just have no uh, no chance at a playoff spot. That's the obvious part, but really more long-term, which is, I think, what you're getting at, is how did we get here? Uh, teams, uh, it, what's become very obvious is that players don't have a real interest in in playing long-term in Ottawa right now, um, and, and that can be for a multitude of reasons. I, I think it has nothing to do with the city. Uh, every player that seems to leave compliments the city, compliments the fan base, um, but but here's the reality. I, I mean, I just went through this 15 minutes ago just out of curiosity. If you went through Ottawa's 20 best scores in this decade, if you even if you exclude Stone and Zingle, which almost certainly are going to be traded, um, they've traded more than half of their top 20 scores for any multitude of reasons. They will trade Stone and Zingle, so that's another two players. They had a couple of players leave on unceremonious terms, like Daniel Alfredson and Chris Neal. And, you know, again, you can evaluate, like, Chris Neal. He went to free agency, and you can say, well, it was a long time coming. He was 37, and he had no role at that point. But that that relationship uh, soured a little bit, not nearly to the extent that the Alfredson relationship soured. Um, but you, you go down the list, and, it, and it, basically you have 15 of their 20 best scorers of the decade that have either been traded or left on unceremonious terms. And and to me, like, you would be the most naive person in the world if you didn't believe that that doesn't have a negative effect um, on how players perceive Ottawa around the league. And that that's ultimately, they have an image problem. And, that, and that's ultimately the thing that they're going to need to figure out. And, and I think they are trying, I think part of what they've been trying to do with Duchesne and Stone is trying to convince them of two things. One, that the rebuild has a shot, which, again, I, I legitimately believe it does have a shot. I, I, I take them at their word for that, and I think the fact that they've got so many picks and prospects already available, more are going to be coming. Like there, There's a real shot at rebuilding this team reasonably quickly. What, what the issue, the larger issue that they are not able to answer and why you see these guys leaving still is this the the player contingent doesn't seem to have any confidence in the organization and and, and I, I hate to bring it up because I think every player and every team around the league has this issue but that uber video like I, I get that it's <laughs> only I get that it's like four five six months old and everyone does that and it just so happened that Ottawa uh, Ottawa's you know six players got caught on camera saying it like it was a super unfortunate incident, terrible for everyone, but it did give us a, a a bit of sunlight into what players in the organization think about certain things. And I, look, the, the 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 entire tone was negative. I mean, that, that's that's the reality, and I and I think that 
again, I think that exists to some degree in most markets, especially bad teams. Um, Ottawa's a bad team this year, but I, I, I just don't think Stone and Duchesne and, and Eric Carlson previously and Kyle Turris, Kyle Turris before that, uh, they, they all struggled with what is this team and organization actually about? What is our chance of actually building something that can contend? And when we're at that point, does this organization have the resources to retain uh, the talent and go out and get more talent to build a legitimate contender? I mean, the, the, the parting sentence to me with Matt Duchesne, and Matt Duchesne absolutely, by all accounts, loved the city and really, in a vacuum, probably would not have left. But if you read, I believe it was Bruce Garriock's article maybe four or five days ago, uh, or, and I think Pierre Dorian actually uh, reemphasized it in his presser yesterday. But long story short, I, it, the, the comment was once Duchesne made it clear he wanted to play on a contender or something to the effect of didn't want to be part of a rebuild, uh, we had to go out and trade him. And what Duchesne's really saying there is, I don't think you guys will be a contender. Not that it, I, not that you guys aren't a contender right now. He's saying you're not going to be a contender. And I don't have confidence for whatever reason, good, bad, or otherwise, that that is going to change. And I think that is the issue um, that that has really – it's like Eeyore's cloud over every single major player in the Ottawa market. And it seems like it's going to go that way too. Certainly with Ryan Dezingle, who's obviously lesser of a, of a talent than some of the other names we're talking about, and probably Mark Stone as well. Yeah, I think you sum it up pretty well in terms of how the players are feeling. Um, and now you're mentioning Mark Stone and Ryan Dezingle, um, and we, we might as well get into, get into that specifically. In terms of Stone, where can you see him going, and do you think it'll be for substantially more than what they got for Matt Duchesne? Uh, it should be. And I really mean that. I, I I know that the general tone around NHL circles is like you've got this big three, Stone, Panera, and Duchesne. Um, I, I I don't see any argument. I, I, I stratify between Stone and then Panera and Duchesne. My point being is I think Stone is a much better player than Panera and Duchesne. Mm-hmm. Um, not just defensively. I, I think his, his all-around game is better, and I think – he is a star bordering on superstar in this league. You can make the argument that you know his average skating, which really hasn't been a detriment at all in his NHL career, could impact him when he gets into his 30s and he, you know, he's a half step slower, and that comes into the contract machinations and whatnot. But um, for a team that's trying to win a Stanley Cup right now, like Mark Stone is a game changer, a game changer, and and that's. It's the only other player that's really been traded that, has, that can move the needle for a team like that is Eric Carlson. And again, it was the same exact team. And I and I say that with all sincerity. I mean, it's possible that the Islanders could have traded John Tavares and he would have been in that bucket too, but they didn't, right? They they rolled the dice and they lost on that. Um, but, but to your original question, if I'm Ottawa and I get basically two B-tier prospects – a lottery protected pick that'll slide and a another conditional pick that that doesn't really look all that interesting it looks like it's a nice inclusion up front until we actually see where the chips fall and that pick might not even exist um if that's the return for stone i that it's not good enough i mean that's just reality i and i and i and i say that because stone is just in my opinion a much better player than duchene is and 
I do think the market, generally speaking, perceives Stone as the better player, but it is going to be fascinating to see if teams are willing to step up and pay that price. Um, I, you know, the, a lot of people have talked about Winnipeg and Nashville as, as obviously two of the two of the teams that really, really w- might make a push for these guys. I, I'm interested in San Jose, man. Like, I, and I know hmm. that this would be the all-in of all-in moves for San Jose. Uh, be, just because of how tight they are against the cap when you consider Eric Carlson's future there. Um, remember, he doesn't even have an extension lined up, and they'd have to move a little bit of money around to really make it work. But if you put Mark Stone in San Jose right now, that is a team that can beat Tampa Bay. And and, and, and let's be honest, that that's the test we're talking about, right? Can you beat Tampa Bay? And I, I think that San Jose team matches up as well with Tampa Bay, maybe even as of today, than any team in the league, and you put a first-line star winger um, into the mix, <laughs> that that's a team that that's the type of Stanley Cup a Tampa Bay San Jose uh, that that might you know break the TV ratings for how good it is. But again, like I I, I don't know that they necessarily have as many assets as they'd like, um, or that Ottawa would like. I think Winnipeg's uh, cupboards are a little bit more full. Nashville's are obviously better. I think Vegas has some of the most intriguing and interesting pieces that they could get. I, I think in a vacuum, if Ottawa could just select the team that they'd want to trade with, it's probably Vegas because they have two or three, I mean, A, A, A tier prospects. Um, but I just don't think that the way Vegas is, Vegas is obviously not playing well right now. Um, and again, I don't really think they're in the market for a pure rental unless they really think they can extend them. And if they, and if they think they can get them long-term, that seems to me like a team that's just going to end up waiting for free agency. So long story short, they should get more, but I, it really is going to come down to what teams are in that mix and who's willing to pay the price for it. Right. And we can say for certain that whatever team lands, Mark Stone is going to be in for quite the treat. So uh, moving on to Ryan Dezingle. So this, like, like the situation is a bit different just because his trade values is like that tier below Stone and Duchesne and Panarin. And uh, so do you think the Sens will be able to get the first round pick? That's the rumored asking price or is the market kind of uh saturated enough with guys like Zuccarello, Hayes, Simmons, all those other guys that uh, they might have to settle for less. Well, my question is, why is the team going to give a first-round pick for Ryan Zingle? Ryan Zingle, if you're, again, if you're a general manager, you have, pre- let's let's pretend us three are general managers of the Winnipeg Jets. There's a lot of pressure on us to win right now. Is is my job security, again, I'm, I'm a contender. How many teams have general managers that have real job security challenges that are also like legitimate Stanley Cup contenders. Not many. If it's probably close to zero, right? Like, there's no GM right now in a pressure cooker that needs to go out and really overpay in order to secure his job and make sure that this playoff run really manifests. Um, I bring that up because there's a lot of pressure with trading a first-round pick, and when you trade a first-round pick, uh, the expectation is that unless it's Paul Gostad, remember that. Um, anyways, <laughs> yeah. if, if 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 you trade a first-round pick to me. You need to know that you are getting a legitimate bona fide, no doubt about a top six player um, that is going to seamlessly introduce himself into the lineup and be your, I don't know, second or third best scorer, right? And Ryan Dezingle, I think the world of him. He's a, he's a very talented player, clear top six forward in the NHL, has well established himself at this point. Um, but that, that's a lot. I mean, a, a first round pick, a, a mid 20s pick for a guy who is, again, a pure rental. Uh, Seems high, and and is is it possible that that teams look to do that? Maybe, but I I think there might be more of an appetite for 
we're going to give you a second and third round pick or a second a second round pick and a legitimately decent prospect which again th- that's that's we're basically speaking similar languages but y- you're you're not making that one you know monster here is a first round pick for a guy that we're going to get two months out of and he's the I don't know eighth best forward on the market right now and, that, and that's the other thing to keep in mind right like we talk about Ottawa and how crazy it is that they're trading three top six forwards but again we have to we have to delineate between them right Mark Stone is clearly the best forward available uh Matthew Shane was clearly in the top three whether you rate him second or third is really up to you Ryan Zingle is a fantastic player but there are a lot of other forwards available that can produce reasonably similarly to Ryan Zingle. I mean look at the Rangers alone uh between Kevin Hayes, Chris Kreider, Matt Zuccarello, like where do you put Ryan Dezingle in that mix? I, I just there there is a, a a surplus potentially of second line forwards available, and I I don't know that the full price is going to materialize. I, I think really, I, and the question I have for you guys, I'll turn it back, is reading. I think again, it was Gary Ock's uh, piece a couple of days ago, and it sounds like Ottawa offered like four or five years and maybe somewhere around four million per and it looks like Dezingle wants five and five to 25 it is if the 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 part i'm struggling with here is you're talking about a million dollars a year for a cap team that is a critical consideration for even a contender that's not uh not cap stressed that's a legitimate question how is Ottawa going to reach the cap floor if they're bargaining with a legitimately impactful quality player within their organization and they're basically haggling over a million dollars or less per year? And I know I know that sounds a little ridiculous, but the reason why I bring it up is because if they're going to if they're going to walk this tightest of tightropes with him negotiating now that and he leaves, where do they spend that money? I mean, it sounds like they're going to try and spend that money in July 1. To get what? Are you going to get Ryan a Ryan Dezingle level player, or are you going to get less than that? I, I just I don't I don't know how they backfill him, and I'm not saying five x four or five x five. Which of the two is the more appropriate price? What I am saying is, for a million dollars or less per year, for a team that sorely needs to reach the cap floor, and for a team that sorely needs some type of scoring talent, and they, you know on the on the active NHL roster. Is this the player that you really want to push over the edge? I, I just, I think it's a fascinating question because you know normally you wouldn't think about a Ryan Dezingle player like this, but once Mark Stone is traded, when he is, Ryan Dezingle is the best best forward on the team, and that, and that's that to me is a point of consideration. Right, for sure, and I think that um, I think this is probably going to be Dezingle's high point. Like this might be his. I don't know what he, he might end up with 60 points and that might end up being his career high. Um, so I think that definitely after this season, he's probably going to look a bit worse. Um, but yeah, like you said, he's, he's probably going to be their best forward if, if they keep him. And I wouldn't even be surprised if they really try to keep him just to somewhat save face, knowing that they're going to be trading Duchesne and Stone. Um, but obviously he would be the worst of those three and, and keeping him like the fans are smarter than that. They're, they're going to know that, uh, you know, Dezingle isn't someone to to build around, whereas someone like Stone would have been. Well, the the other thing that I think is interesting, and I, I brought this up this morning, and maybe I'm reading too much between the lines on this one, but um, again, Pierre Dorian's statement uh, once once Duchesne was traded, uh, Duchesne was out the window; he was already gone, 
and he was making a comment about making a comment about Stone and Dezingle. And he said, We're trying to convince a few of our veterans to basically stick around for the rebuild. And you can assume that he was including at least Stone and Dezingle, but a few means that they're under consideration of more players to try and extend. And I went I went through the roster. The only two players that would really fit the bill as even quasi veterans um, that that are in need of some sort of extension are Magnus PRV and Cody Cece. I Is there anyone else? I mean, is that is is the play here that the team is going to push for one of two of those guys? And you know, we haven't really heard a ton about CC as a potential trade. I know early on it sounded like he was more likely to be traded, and now it's in this total gray area. And MPS, like a guy they could probably flip for a mid-round pick and maybe bring back on July 1. Um, but it sounds like one of those two they're going to try and bring back. Did you guys read that similarly? I don't know. I mean, the, the funny thing is that was actually going to be my very next question, so fantastic <laughs> segue, Travis. Um, but yeah, I... I don't know. I mean, like you're mentioning, they're gonna they're gonna have to reach the cap floor, so perhaps they're not gonna be moving one of these guys. Um, do you get the sense that CC is gonna be moved either now or in the summer, or do they really need his cap hit on the roster? I'll tell you what. I don't know how. Even if they like, again, I I don't think Cody C, uh, Cody C is a very good player, um, but I know Ottawa thinks much more highly of him. Even if they think highly of him, how can you not? I, ben Lovejoy was just traded for Connor Carrick, who is a third-pairing defenseman at, the, at this point in the NHL, and a third-round pick. I mean, that's a pretty good return for Ben Lovejoy, um, who I don't think is that far off from Cody Ceci. And I, I think that's a, a point of consideration for this team. And what I would do, I, I think more generally you're asking a cap floor question as well. Um, you know, I wrote about this last week. I don't know why... And, 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 and maybe they are, right? Maybe this is something that they're really going to push for, especially in the summer. Ottawa, more than any team in the league, maybe more than any team in the league in the last 10 years, should be hunting these bad contracts because Pierre Dorian has clear job security. The team and organization have committed to being horrendous for the next two and a half years. I would be looking for any bad backdiving contract that's kind to cash flow and less kind to cap hit. And I would hunt those picks. I would hunt those players and i would say hey team xyz i will take that contract you're going to put a high pick attached to him and you're going to retain 20 percent of the salary and we're going to make this trade work and i'm going to clear all your cap space and like like the big three that i wrote about for varying reasons although there are many many more of these players around the league as you guys know uh jeff carter out of us of out of los angeles has a first off again a classic back diving contract um, L.A. is in uh, cap trouble, and I, I think L.A. wants to bottom out and maybe rebuild a little bit quicker. Uh, Edmonton with Milan Lucic. Milan Lucic's next signing bonus is on July 1. On July 2, they would be millions of dollars green as it pertains to cap hit versus salary. And Edmonton, more than any team in the league, needs to get off salary. Uh, ridding themselves of Lucic's contract would actually allow them to go out and acquire some talent on July 1 to put around McDavid or via trade. Um, and uh, uh, third player that I wrote about, uh, Louis Erickson. Louis Erickson has this massive front-loaded back-diving contract. I mean, it was almost comical. <laughs> he was one of those July 1, 2016 contracts. And Vancouver doesn't have a lot of cap issues right now. However, Erickson's contract is 
bordering on undesirable if it's not already undesirable at this point. And, you know, I don't know if everyone agrees, but I'm, I'm pretty bullish on, on the Canucks trajectory. I mean, they've got clear talent there. They're going to need to spend to get a couple a couple additional players up there to build around their their core of young talent that they have up there right now. But they're already a reasonably scrappy team um, that that maybe are just one year away. I, you would think that they'd want to rid of themselves of a contract to arm themselves with more space to do stuff. And I like if I'm Ottawa, that's the easiest thing in the world is to go buy up these picks because the teams need to get off cap money, and Ottawa doesn't have the cash flow to actually pay them in real salary. So you take these backdiving contracts that are more cruel to the cap than the number than the actual money owed, and you go out and get picks for them. And you, I mean, you could be sitting on a boatload of picks and/or prospects um, just because you're taking on bad contracts for the next two years when you're not serious about contending anyway. I mean, they have publicly said it no less than five times. They have no interest in winning for the next two years. You might as well make it a clown show and actually arm yourself with the real chance of being good when 2021-2022 comes around. No, I definitely agree with all that. And uh, I think Milan Lucic would definitely be a good option there. Um, Like you said, they're going to have to hit the cap floor somehow. And if they can get even more picks, I mean, they have a ton of picks already, um, despite you know, giving up some of those picks in, in earlier deals, but they're getting some of them back now. So if they can if they can weaponize that, that would be amazing. The, the thing about Lucic, too, that everyone should should keep in mind is, every, you know, the question that would come up is, why would Lucic wave to go to Ottawa? Here's something to keep in mind. I can't imagine that guy would... would, would I, I think he'd rather play in Siberia than Edmonton at this point, the way <laughs> that the first two, two and a half years have went. It's already been public that him and his agent were trying to facilitate some sort of trade out of the organization with the team, but obviously no one's interested in that contract for a multitude of reasons. Um, and and moreover, Ottawa, in my opinion, if if let's 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 hypothesize a Lucic trade for a second, Lucic and a first round pick and some salary retained, um, uh, some su- fairly substantial salary retained. If it's just one first round pick, maybe they get a first and a second, and it's only I don't know ten percent of the retained. But you get my point. It's player pick or picks and some degree of salary retention to Ottawa. Okay, done deal. Ottawa sends a body back. Everything's cap compliant. Done. Okay, Lucic has to agree to waive. Ottawa's not going to hold on to Milan Lucic for another three, three and a half years. They're not going to. There's no point to do it because what happens is if you get Edmonton to shoulder, let's let's say they do the one-pick road and they get Edmonton to shoulder 40% of the cap, okay? Ottawa can then turn around and reflip Lucic whose contract is nowhere as near as undesirable anymore because so much less let must so much less money is owed to the player that a team a contending team with space might legitimately take a flyer on him and yeah would they pay next to nothing for him probably but Ottawa could rewipe him off the books as they needed to and they could put Lucic with a team where a, a, a contender where he would be happy, Ottawa would be happy, Edmonton would be happy. It'd basically be a pass-through. That Those are the type of deals that Ottawa needs to get serious about because otherwise they're basically just going into drafts with a couple extra picks and a couple extra lottery tickets and trying to roll the dice over and over. And I, I just – I think you want as many chances at the lottery as possible in this case, and Ottawa needs to push in that direction. Awesome. Well, thanks so much, Travis, for coming on the show. We really appreciate the insight. Uh, last thing. Is there anything you want to plug? Anything you're currently working on or things you want to do in the future? 
Yeah, I'll plug the cost per point cast. Always great being on here. <laughs> Love it. Oh, no, I will. No, wait. My boss will kill me. Trade Center <laughs> Monday. Trade Center Monday on TSN starts at like, I don't know, 3 a.m. or something. So make sure you're watching all day. Perfect. Well, Travis, as always, thanks for coming on the show. Always uh, appreciate your insight. All right. Take care, guys. As I wrap it up, reminder that you can find the Cost for Podcast on iTunes, Spotify, SoundCloud, and Stitcher. And don't forget to rate and review the podcast on those platforms as well. You can also follow me on Twitter at ShaqTS and read my articles at HockeyBuzz.com. You can follow Colin on Twitter at CudmoreColin and read his articles at Silver7Cents. And you can also now follow the Cost for Pointcast on Twitter at CPPointcast. Stay tuned for another episode shortly after the trade deadline as Colin and I will be sure to analyze everything that's happened since today. If you have any suggestions for future episodes or questions you want answered, let us know. That's all for today. Peace.